following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Welcome one and all to episode 95 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and this is the return of the classic albums column here on Mars Attacks. We have a very special show set up for you centered around Black Sabbath's 1980 release, Heaven and Hell. Now, this album does not come without controversy because obviously you have people that are diehard Aussie fans that do not like the album, <laughs> do not give the album you know, its due. I actually have uh, one comment up there on the site from Jose of the band Angela Sapatrida, a good friend of mine, Century Media Artist there, where he basically says something to the extent of... Him being a big fan of the Aussie years, but really not caring for any other era of the band. I get it. There are plenty of people that are like that, and that's cool. To me, my favorite Sabbath era is with Dio. So uh, we wanted to sort of fuel the fire, fuel the argument, and bring comments to you related to this album. And for those of you that are new to this, for those of you that are... Uh, veterans of this series, I want to thank you for checking this episode out. And uh, we're going to do things a little different here. Um, I've been receiving sort of a push, not a push, just people sort of mentioning, hey, you know, if you do episodes without music, you know, might be able to get up on iHeartRadio and things of that nature. So, uh, we're going to do, or at least we're going to try to do this classic album series with no music. Uh, what we will do is we will link to the album on Spotify if it's available. Uh, we'll also link to the album uh, up there on Amazon like we usually do. So if you like what people are talking about the album what their comments are or whatever, go check the album out. You don't have to agree with them. You can disagree. You could be, you know, neutral on the subject. Maybe you don't think the album is that great. <laughs> uh, our good friend Dan Lorenzo also comments something similar to that. Uh, he basically says that the first side of the album is tremendous, but that the second half of the album, side B per se, that it's pretty much a stinker in his opinion. So there you go. Dan is not one to shy away from um, comments that <laughs> sort of catch your attention in that way. So um, we have, again, for those of you that are new to this, we have comments up on the site on MarsAttacksRadio.com and we have the podcast which you are currently listening to. Uh, I just mentioned Dan Lorenzo. There are comments from Bumblefoot. The current guitarist of Guns N' Roses, former, we'll see, depending on the comments that are being thrown up there on the web. Who knows? Uh, we have comments from the great author Greg Prado. We have comments from Dave Starr of the band Wild Star. I mentioned Dan Lorenzo. Um, we have a few of the members of Benedictum that have commented on it. Steve Smythe, formerly of Testament, um, and Nevermore, currently of the band um, One Machine, if I'm not mistaken, is the name of the band. 
We have David Ellison of Megadeth who's commented on the album. He pretty much says this album is ushered in a whole new melodic yet heavy era for metal music. He goes on to say, every song is flat out great on this album. Neon Nights is so catchy. It is hard to even call it metal, but yet it's got everything a great metal tune should have. A riff, moving bass line, and Ronnie James Dio with an exclamation point at the end. Who else commented here? We have um, a guy named Bat from a band called Glider. Uh, We have Bruce Moore, who does a really cool uh, music-themed food segment. It's up on the web on iFood TV. Uh, we have Patrick Kennison, a good friend of the show, formerly of Union Underground. He's got his own band called Heaven Below, which we've had him on several times talking about. He's currently out with Lita Ford. And we have our good friend Jose from Angelus Patrick, as I mentioned before. But without further ado, this episode will contain comments from Vinny Apice. The former drummer of Black Sabbath in the band Heaven and Hell. Uh, Ernie C., who produced Black Sabbath. Uh, we have two uh, <laughs> two Quebecers, if that. Um, we have Martin Popoff and Mitch LaFon. Not Mitch LaFun, as some people like to call him. Um, Mitch from Talking Metal Digital and his great podcast, One on One with Mitch LaFon. Speaking of Talking Metal Digital, we also have Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. We have Michael Wilton from Queensryche, Charlie Benante of Anthrax, Gene Hoagland of Testament, and so many other great bands. We have John Schaefer of Ice Earth, Charlie D'Angelo of Archstenemy, Glenn Drover, formerly of Megadeth, Testament, and King Diamond, Alan Tecchio, part of Dave or Mike Lapon's Silent Assassins. I'm part of Silent Assassins. I may be getting that first name wrong. Sorry, I'm not a big uh, Symphony X follower. Like Symphony X, but I don't know who the members are outside of Russell Allen and uh, Mike Romeo, I think his name is the guitarist. Anyway, my bad. Should have researched it. Uh, Dave Reffitt is also on here. And the great Andrew Bansal, Anirud from Metal Assault. So... Um, we're going to have segments in between every time that they talk. I may jump in here and there. I may not. Let's see how things shake out. And this is a, uh, a journey for us, a, a new chapter for the show, if you will. Again, if you're new to Mars Attacks, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker as well. Um, you could look us up on TalkingMetal.com, Talking Metal Digital. We're part of the Talking Metal Digital family. And uh, we're definitely on their Spreaker feed. And hopefully this will help get us to a few other places. Uh, you can subscribe to us in all those great spots as well. Uh, also, if you go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, you can find links to all of our social media uh, sites or where we're located. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on G+, Twitter. And you can also find links to our Amazon store on there uh, where you will find songs from... Or not songs, my bad. Where you will find music from pretty much everyone that's featured on this show 
And any other show that we do, we, we usually have a store that I open or a new category within a store that we have. We open it and we set aside um, a small spot so that you can purchase albums from the albums from the artists that are featured, uh, albums that are played during the uh, or songs from albums that are played during the episodes. And uh, this week, well, it'll be a little shorter. It'll just be Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell there. So we're just going to have the one. Uh, what else? Uh, we have the PayPal donation button if you want to help us out. Uh, that Amazon link helps. The PayPal donation button helps. There's also a bunch of other affiliate stores that we have that you can check out. Just click on uh, the affiliate store page or the Amazon store page or the donate button. And send us what you can. So anything you send us is greatly appreciated. So there you go. Been fighting uh, a very nasty allergy thanks to what is called um, southern wind, which brings hot air up from Africa, basically, into Spain, aside from the hot air that I'm spewing. And... uh, uh, from time to time, it kicks up so much dust and shit that it pretty much gets me all congested. So uh, today, I'm more or less good. I haven't had to use nasal spray yet. Voice still isn't 100%, but since I skipped last week due to family illness and and this came in you know, last weekend, I couldn't get another episode up sooner. So here we go. We're, uh, we're jumping in onto this Black Sabbath-themed episode of... Mars Attacks, and we're going to kick things off right off the bat with Mr. John Schaefer of Iced Earth, and everything will go one by one, like falling dominoes after that, and uh, if you guys like the new format, if you don't like it, drop me a line, do it on Facebook, again, facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio, do it via Twitter. You could also um, send us an email at input at marsattacksradio.com. Anyway, without further ado, Mr. John Schaefer of Iced Earth. That's another classic, dude. I mean, holy shit. You know, what Ronnie brought to that band is really something, you know, just from a. I mean, I love the Aussie years too. I, w- I was never one of these. I, see, I'm that way. I think the. the the argument of between fucking what singer is the best, like the Dio Ozzy thing, is just stupid fucking tribalism, you know? Yeah. I mean, just listen, it's all good. That's that's why I don't really like the debates I hear about what singers in Iced Earth, you know? I, I've heard the same shit every time it's yeah. happened. It's like, whatever, I don't really care. But, <laughs> but uh, I love what Dio brought to the band because he, you know, far more musical, obviously, he was than, than Ozzy is. You know? Right. And, uh, and more, way more melodic and. Um, I just yeah, I, I love all the eras, but that's uh, that's that was really something special. It was a cool combination. And I love Ronnie as a person, man. I, I will miss him. We really wanted to do a project together, so huh. it was kind of a, a bummer that we didn't get a chance to. But uh, he was he was really a special guy. He's one of the you know I haven't met too many of my idols, you know, but Ronnie was like a guy who looked you in the eyes and he was talking to you when he was mm-hmm. talking he was present you know he wasn't like 
just yeah yeah shut yeah. up kid I got shit to do never <laughs> you know I mean you meet him once he remembers your name and he, he's a, he was a fucking class act man, so e- everyone says that about yeah, him I don't miss Ryan He's written a million and one books about hard rock and metal, Martin Popov. I loved that these guys came back with Ronnie. It was a very exciting time. I remember seeing this album, like a huge stack of them in A&B Sound in Vancouver for the first time and turning it over and seeing that classy um, line drawing of the band, Bill Ward looking like a Scottish terrier. Um, and I just thought, Um, I would have been perfectly happy with another Black Sabbath album with Ozzy, and I was perfectly happy with this this deal thing. It was a very exciting thing. It was almost just, you know, it was exciting in the same way they came back again and changed the name of the band to Heaven and Hell years later. Um, but very cool album, um, very shiny and professional, though. I've always thought that it kind of lacked the um, risk-taking creativity of any previous Sabbath album. Um, it was basically an efficient, self-aware Black Sabbath, which was pretty darn good in my books anyways. Former King Diamond and Megadeth guitarist, Glenn Drover. Heaven and Hell, that's the first Black Sabbath album I actually ever got, ever, ever bought. Was, that was that particular album. Um, I didn't really know a lot about the band. I remember Sean coming home one day, and he started playing this riff because, you know, when we when I started playing guitar, Sean started playing drums. But, you know, of course, we always would play each other's instruments and mess around and stuff like that. Right. And he had learned from a friend how to play the opening riff to Paranoid. And I thought, wow, that sounds pretty cool, you know, and I went to try to find the album and, and um, I couldn't and found Heaven and Hell and thought, well, it's probably the same kind of idea. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not enough good things that you could say about that record. It's just a flawless, flawless record. Definitely one of my favorites. Um, as much as I love the Aussie years, you know, uh, albums like Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules are definitely the ones I would have to pick out of the whole bunch uh, first. Um, and yeah, it's just a, to me, it's just a, a really, you could tell, I mean, you know, new life into the band, a whole new beginning, um, very, very different sounding from previous albums, you know, and, uh, which was obviously, a, you know, had a lot to do with Ronnie, of course, coming into the fold and, 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 you know, just really great record. From Metal Assault and Ruben Sal. Yeah, well, the Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell is one album, is one of those albums which I can just keep talking about, like, endlessly, but I'll, I'll try to, uh, Keep it within listenable limits. Um, <laughs> this was um, earlier this year. This was actually the very first album that I picked up on vinyl because, and I could just, I've heard people talk about the fact that they picked it up solely based on how cool that cover is. And I've I've heard of pe- from people like uh, Eddie Trunk, I think, who talked about how he picked this album from a bunch of other albums just because of the cover. And uh, <clears throat> I've, kind of felt the same when I when I picked it up. I'm like, how how cool is this? I mean, even though I, I know the album inside out already, um, it's still cool to have that feeling of picking up that, that 12-inch cover and, and then going and listening to it, you know, even now. So um, I was cool. I was glad that I was able to relive that, that moment and something which I didn't, of course, get to experience when the original album came out in 1980. Um, so the album is... Um, you know, as strong as, as ever, and it, it will remain as strong as uh, as it ever was. And, you know, often when musicians pass away, they're glorified beyond uh, what they 
I mean, beyond uh, their their abilities sometimes and beyond how good they were. I mean, they're sometimes sugar-coated and stuff like that. But with Vani James Gio, I think he's the only one who uh, truly deserved uh, all the uh, the things that were spoken about him after he passed away. And this album is the first proof of that. You know, the the fact that Black Sabbath was pretty much like a bluesy, heavy metal, doom metal kind of a band before... Um, Ronnie James you joined. I mean, the early, the self-titled Black Sabbath album and the Master of Reality and, and all those early albums, I think they were pretty instrumental in giving rise to what you call today as doom metal. And um, uh, it was it was a blues, it was pretty much a depressing blues rock sound that they had uh, when they started out. But Ronnie James you truly brought the heavy metal element to, to Black Sabbath and his voice was you know, uh, instrumental in that. I mean, the music and the music still remained as good as it was with Ozzy, but the voice separated, I mean, made it distinct and made the two eras just so separate from each other that it, it still polarizes fans, you know, the, the Ozzy era and the, and the Dio era. But I feel that the Dio era is the true heavy metal, the side of, of Sabbath and the Ozzy era is the, is the more the bluesy rock, uh, you know, side of it, and um, heaven and hell is is the is the first um, sort of step in that, and it lived up to uh, lived up to even not just lived up to, but went beyond all expectations, and uh, with songs like Neon Nights and Children of the Sea, and the title song, which is a great one of the greatest heavy metal sing along tunes, which crowds just love to sing, even when it's played on the PA, like between, you know, when you go to the any show and there's these metal songs played on the PA between sets and this is a song which people just instantly sing along with you, you know, even as soon as they hear it. And and then there's the, the, the aggressive and fast song Die Young, which is a rather ironic title because of Ronnie James Dio's passing, but it's it's a great song in itself. And there's Lonely is the Word and there's there's songs of all varying tempos and all all uh, um, styles on this, you know, it's just not, not. It's a multi-dimensional album. That's what I would call it. It, it um, presents everything that the the musicians were capable of, and Ronnie James Dio has has uh, laid down his vocals very nicely on top of everything, and and uh, ampl- sort of amplified the whole impact of it. So Heaven and Hell is uh, <clears throat> the the true definition of a classic, and if you haven't. Um, Heard. I mean, if you're uh, just getting into Black Sabbath and you've just started out with the Aussie stuff, I mean, that's that's fine. That's what I did as well. But this is one album which you should uh, you sh- should listen to, and it might just change you change your life forever. You know? <laughs> so that's heaven and hell. The man that continues to shred the envelope, Dave Raffet. Black Sabbath, heaven and hell, man. I just I love that album so much, and um, I also love the Mob Rules and. Anytime I'm talking about Ronnie James Dio, man, I just automatically, you know, like he's one of my favorite singers ever, if not my favorite. And um, I love everything all the way back to the when he was doing doo-wop music back in the 50s, man. That stuff's incredible. And and Elf and all that stuff, Rainbow, everything. Um, but this album, of course, jumps out. I mean, it's got, you know, Neon Nights and Children of the Sea and Lady Evil and and uh, Heaven and Hell, which, of course, you know, they, they went on to name the next group after. And, um, yeah, I got the pleasure of seeing them a few times. Keller Band. And my um, my little nephew went to go see them. It was the second 
last show Ronnie ever did. It was at the Bank of America Pavilion in Boston. Um, and he was like, Dave, yeah, you should come, man. And I was like, oh, man, I already saw them a couple times last year, and I, I don't know if I want to, you know, I kind of wanted to stay home or whatever for whatever reason. And uh, I was kicking myself later because, you know, I wish I would have gone. <laughs> and then he played at the, uh, he did the, I think it was the House of Blues in uh, Atlantic City, and that was it, man. Really, really sucks. Um, huge loss for music, big time, man. And I'd love to be able to sing like the guy. I, I just think he's incredible. From Hades and nonfiction, lead singer Alan Tecchio. Well, what can be said about that record? I mean, I just watched Tony Iommi get interviewed on uh, that metal show, and he was talking about that and, and just the changeover of singers and the state of mind of Sabbath at that time and just how different he wrote for Ronnie as opposed to Ozzy. And, uh, I'm just, when I look back on that with hindsight, it's pretty amazing that they came up with a record that great and that different for them. Um, it's just kind of unbelievable, to be perfectly honest. But uh, what a fantastic record, front to back. Every song on there is just so amazing. And it was a new life for Sabbath. You know, it just sparked a whole new thing, you know. Right. And I've seen you cover Voodoo, which uh, obviously... Um uh, it was Sabbath with Dio. Uh, are there any other uh, Dio-fronted tracks by Sabbath that you'd like to cover? Well, with Don't Heaven and Hell um, and some cover bands I've been in, just, you know, like sitting in with a band kind of thing. Uh, Seven, when I was with Seven Witches, we used to cover Heaven and Hell from time to time. Um, early on, when I was starting out singing, one of the first songs that I covered was uh, Children of the Sea which was the first song that he wrote with Sabbath, uh, interestingly enough, and I didn't know that at the time. I got that out of that interview with Naomi. And um, Falling Off the Edge of the World, he used to mess around with. And there, there's so many, almost every song with Tio <laughs> is so great with, uh, with uh, Sabbath. You know, there's, there's barely any clunkers. But no, there's not really one specifically I'd want to cover at this point, but, you know, I love them all. The host of One-on-One -on -one with Mitch, Talking Metal Digital's own Mitch LaFon. Wow. Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. Um, you know, uh, for, for, for a lot of people, Black Sabbath is Ozzy Osbourne, and they, they, they can't get around that. But that album, Heaven and Hell, redefined the band. It took a band that you know, all logic would have said, you're done. You've lost your singer. And he's now gone on and made um, better albums. And, and he's given you a run for the money. And then they, they come out with Heaven and Hell. And that, and just the song Heaven and Hell. And, you know, it, it was like striking gold twice. You know, right. they, they had, they had Paranoia and they had Iron Man. And, after the whole thing where Ozzy left, people thought, well, this band's dead. And, you know, that type of music coming into the 80s, uh, you know, Iron Maiden was one of the dinosaurs bands. You know, it, they weren't the fresh new thing. They weren't Quiet Riot. They weren't Motley Crue. They were these old British curmudgeons that time had forgotten. And then Ronnie James Dio steps in, and this little tiny guy, you know, all four foot eight of him or whatever he was, just belts out heaven and hell. 
and and you go, whoa, how did they do that? So it was a complete rebirth for for that band, and it it gave them a a second chance. And there are so many people now in 2011 that when they say, oh, I I was raised on Black Sabbath and I was influenced by Black Sabbath and the music I play is all because of Black Sabbath. They're not talking about Paranoid. They're not talking right. about Iron uh, Iron Man. They barely know those songs. They go, oh, no, 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 Heaven and Hell. That's what I'm talking about. Or they'll say, oh, no, Mob Rules, that, you know, the other album, that, that's, that's Black Sabbath. And it's, it's, it's very, very rare that a band can have two distinctive careers uh, and really be two completely different uh, entities. And Heaven and Hell did that for Black Sabbath. And I think it did it more so than Mob Rule ever did, more so than any of the albums after that. And it, it, it came after so many failed attempts with the old lineup. I mean, when you started getting into Ozzy with technical ecstasy and all this stuff, people really had just said, all right, you know what? We're done. Goodbye. Bye-bye, Bill. Bye-bye, Tommy. Uh, Tony, and uh, sorry, Tommy, you know, I'm a KISS fan, Tommy Thayer. Uh, and, um, wow, it, it, it really changed. It, it was a game changer for Black Sabbath, and it gave that whole sort of, you know, doom metal or, or, or dark metal another kick in the ass, and it gave, it gave them another, well, basically, that album gave them another, how many years has it been since then, uh, 30 years? It gave them yeah, another 30 years. Off. Yeah. It, it really gave Black Sabbath another 30 years. Had they done anything except Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell, uh, and they had followed up with, you know, Dehumanizer or some of those other albums, mm-hmm. they would have they would have disappeared. I mean, those albums are what made Tony Iommi and Bill Ward and all those guys uh, musical icons that we still care about in 2011. Without those two albums. Heaven and Hell in particular, those guys would have been, you know, footnotes. They would have gone, oh, yeah, he's the guy who did Paranoid 50 years ago. Who cares? <laughs> right. And, you know, that, that's, that album uh, changed the lives of a lot of teens uh, at that time. And people who grew up on that album, um, you know, they... Uh, it was, it was their Black Sabbath. Part of one of the most influential bands to ever come out of Scandinavia, Arch Enemies, Charlie D'Angelo. <clears throat> that is one of my um, favorite albums of all time. Because um, I think, I think there's a lot of people who are wondering, like, okay, Aussie's gone, you know, what now? Right. And then that guy from Rainbow. But for me, <laughs> it was like, Sweet, they got the guy from Rainbow. <laughs> this can only be good, and it was. Um, so, and I think that that's um, there's so many, um, so many good songs on that album. Uh, two of my favorites: uh, uh, "Lonely Is the Word" and uh, "Die Young." Uh, two of my favorite uh, Sabbath tracks of all time. A pioneer in metal podcasting. Talking Metals, Mark Striegel.
Hey, Victor, so glad to be with you here on this edition of Mars Attacks. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the Heaven and Hell record, one of my favorites of all time, for sure. So many great songs, not a bad song, actually. And the history behind the making of the record I always found quite fascinating. Obviously, it's the first Black Sabbath record without Ozzy, and it is definitely a better record than the previous few they had done before with Ozzy. And having said that, it started as maybe not being a Black Sabbath record. The involvement of Geezer Butler on this record is minimal. There were even other bass players kind of in the group. Bill Ward played on the record, but... Again, his involvement is minimal, pretty much just, you know, the drum tracks themselves. And he left shortly after the record was released. He actually did play a few tour dates with them before Vinnie Apice joined. The album was recorded, get this, at Barry Gibb's studio. At least some of it was. Barry Gibb, of course, famous for his work with the Bee Gees. And there was a Doc, right outside the studio, rumor has it, I think this is addressed in numerous books, where cocaine was brought right into the studio. So boats would pull up filled with cocaine, and it was brought right into the studio. Pure, amazing Miami cocaine. The studio, I think, was on the outskirts, or maybe right even in Miami, and it sounds like there was uh, definitely some partying going on with uh, with this record. A lot of times it's said that, oh, Sabbath at the end of the Ozzy era was too burnt out and, and they needed to clean up their act and stuff. I, I actually don't know if I agree with that. I think they were burnt out, yes, but I don't think it was the drugs. I mean, sure, you do drugs for a while, you get burnt out. But I think they were just burnt out on each other. And I think... Tony hooking up with Ronnie James Dio was a refreshing thing. It was exciting. It was new. And the music had that new, exciting, refreshing vibe to it. You can't deny the the magic that is just all over heaven and hell musically. From the production to the performances to the songwriting, it's just a great, great record. And it's also interesting to note that you know bands like the Eagles and Zeppelin came to kind of a close towards the end of the 70s as did the original Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne as did the original Kiss with Peter and Ace left then you know a few years later or 2 years later into the 80s but these iconic bands from the 70s were all ending and it's interesting that the Eagles and Led Zeppelin continued to thrive after their demise, if you will, on FM radio. And, you know, they were bands that people in their late 20s and 30s really embraced, even even at that time, especially with the Eagles and, and that, with Zeppelin too. They were a little more accepted by the older crowd than bands like Sabbath and Kiss were. And I, f- I feel it's a real crucial time for, for Sabbath and Kiss because they both wanted to kind of leave behind that 
thing that they had done in the 70s. The, the 70s was no longer cool. In the 80s, anything from the 70s, from the fashions to the music, even in some instances the movies, stuff just was no longer cool. And, and Sabbath needed a change. And it's hard for us to imagine that 70s Kiss and 70s Sabbath at one point wasn't cool, but it wasn't in the early 80s. And maybe to me and you and the listeners, hell, I mean, we were all little kids, but maybe it would have been to us. But there was a really big backlash uh, against bands like Sabbath and Kiss. I think Sabbath hit maybe a little earlier than Kiss. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, Kiss is by 79. Even some of the teenagers weren't really into Kiss anymore. They it was really teeny boppers, you know, preteens. And Sabbath also was losing fans by the end of the seventies. So they needed to start fresh. They needed to do something that distinguished them from not only their old lineup but their old sound. And Sabbath succeeded right out of the gate. You know, it took a band like Kiss a few more years. They had to go through the Unmasked and the the Elder, uh, which some people can consider disasters or debacles. I love both those records, but they definitely were not embraced by the the public, the record buying public. Creatures of the Night wasn't even either, although that was a good record. But we're talking about Heaven and Hell, so let's get back to Sabbath. Sabbath, you know, after Ozzy left, they hit a home run right out of the gate. Tony and Ronnie James Dio specifically with Heaven and Hell, one of the masterpieces. And it was also an album, you know, that really set the tone for a lot of other bands that would come after it, like Queensryche and, and Maiden and stuff like that. I believe, and we know Queensryche was uh, influenced by the Heaven and Hell record because, because you spoke to Michael about that. So, uh, yeah, a tremendously great record, a tremendously influential record on what was to come from metal in general in the 1980s and on into the 90s and 2000s. My good friend there, Mark Striegel, sort of turning the tables and giving us a great history lesson on the album Heaven and Hell. Uh, He jokes about being the slowest reader in the world, and I think he's probably 10 times faster a reader than I am, so it's great that he was able to add those comments regarding various books that he's read regarding the the actual album Heaven and Hell. Mark mentions during his segment there that I spoke to Michael Wilton of Queensryche, and it is true, it will come out later on in the episode you'll hear my discussion with him if you didn't check it out on Talking Metal a little while back and um, Queensryche actually was originally known if I'm not mistaken as the Mob and they took the name from Mob Rules and their fan club was known as the Mob originally as well may still be known as that not exactly sure again not love Queensryche but not that privy to their ins and outs to know that. But um, anyway, yeah, we do have uh, Michael Wilton that will be discussing uh, Heaven and Hell in a little bit. And um, we had Mitch LaFon. Mitch LaFon mentioned that it was 2011 
And yeah, this was released back in, or not released, this is being released now, but it was recorded back in 2011, and those that have followed the show know all the issues that I've been having the past year and a half and whatever, and this is the first classic albums episode released since August of 2013, so we're definitely going to pick this back up again, and we're going to bring one of these a month to you, and in the year... 2015, the idea is to release one of these per month, along with, if you've been checking out the last few episodes, and if you haven't, I urge you to go back and do so, uh, you can check out the Decade series or the Warship series. Our last episode was the Warship series, where we checked out some Middle Eastern music and spoke to Travis Beard about a documentary that will be coming out regarding metal in Afghanistan. We also did an episode with Mark Striegel, uh, which was a decade series where we start off in the present and we jump back 10 years at a time. So we may be adding a few other series-themed shows in the future. And uh, you can go to MarsAttacksRadio.com for more news on that. Also, if you're a fan of this, of the classic album series, I know a lot of people love these episodes because it reminds them of albums that they haven't listened to in a long time or albums that they want to go back and check out or maybe they ignored the album when it first came out and they're listening to people's comments and want to go ahead and check the album out. If you want to listen to all the other episodes that we've done as part of this series, best place to do so is MarsAttacksRadio.com. If you scroll down the right-hand side there, under Categories, you'll see Classic Albums. Click on that, and you'll see all of the written comments and links to the um, uh, podcast, which can either be listened to right there on the site or downloaded, or they're up on iTunes and Stitcher and all that that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. On iTunes, they seem to be some of the more popular episodes. Um, up next, we're getting back to the, the episode here, the interviews. We have something a little different. Uh, a little while back, I was able to interview Ernie C., who produced the Black Sabbath album, Forbidden. And since I had the opportunity to talk to him, I wanted to ask him about working with Sabbath. And you'll hear that right now. This is Ernie C. from Body Count heaven and hell but you worked on the very underrated forbidden album which in my well, opinion is a lost gem in their catalog well um, you know go ahead no i was going to ask you what was it like working with the band oh you know when you, whenever you do a black sabbath record it, 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 you're going to get under the microscope i mean they've had 11 records so if just to be to do one is an honor, you know what I mean. To produce a Black Sabbath record is an honor. It was it was a lot of fun doing that record. I mean, I had Jimmy Page show up to the studio. Uh, uh, who else showed up? Uh, Jeff Beck. Uh, 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 what's his name? Queen's guitar player. Brian May showed up. Uh, I, I worked on the the drums with the late Cozy Powell. I mean, I can't complain. It was a good experience for me, and the record's good. I mean, the record. It's a good Black Sabbath record. It's not the best Black Sabbath record. So, uh, you know, it, it was good for me just to be accepted in that way by Tony Iommi. I mean, you can't, you know, get any bigger than that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it always sort of frustrates me that 
you know, the Tony Martin years are pushed off to the side, but they still put out quality material. And there are tracks that you produced on that album that I think definitely still slot in with some of their classic tracks. Yeah, they, they were they were they were good tracks, and, and also Ice holds the title of being the, the only person ever to guest star on a Black Sabbath record, and I put him on the record. So, right, it's funny because so many people had a problem with that, but you know, Ozzy did work with um, uh, did work with uh, ODB, and he right. did work with uh, Busta Rhymes as well. So, yeah. I mean, I don't see the uh, issue. I, you know, it's it just people need something to talk about. So that's what they decided to talk about today, you know. That's, that goes back to our song right now, Pop Bubble Full of Bullshit. You know, people just talking, you know, just talking and talking and talking. You know? He'll bend your soul. Queens Rikes, Michael Wilton. Oh, it's, it's such a monumental uh, album. I can say album because it was an album when I purchased it. And um, in... Queensryche's formative years. I mean, that was something that we really listened to and, and loved. And, and actually, before we were Queensryche, we were playing um, covers, and we did play a lot of uh, Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio uh, cover songs, and that was uh, so much fun. So it's just it brings back so many great memories. It's still just a, a great uh, record to listen to, and. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about it. I've I was uh, lucky enough to to meet Ronnie James Dio many times, and um, you know, it's just uh, it's just a great great memory personally for me. The man that has played with all your favorite bands, Gene Hoagland. That was probably the first Sabbath album I was. Uh, I, I listened to because I was 12, I was 11 when that, I was 12 when that one came out, came out in the summer of 80, and the first song I heard off that one was Lady Evil, and I was, and I didn't know much about production at the time, but I was like, wow, they kind of, this sounds like they recorded it at the bottom of a swimming pool had a really murky sound to it. Drums sounded were really murky. The bass sound was murky. Everything was just really sludgy sounding about it. And I wasn't too psyched with that sound. I liked my, my metal really bright and riffy sounding like, like, like Judas Priest or something, you know? And, right. uh, and you know, that wasn't, you know, that was the radio hit of the day, but you know, then my sister picked up the record and it had great songs like Neon Nights and, and Die Young and stuff like that. So, I mean, that was a really killer record. It, it you know, and and I must admit, I was a bigger Dio fan with Rainbow. I thought he really fit in Rainbow really well, and I, you know, I very suddenly got into all the Aussie era Sabbath. You know, I was only twelve, so I mean, I was I was really into what is classic rock by now. But that was my you know first foray into metal was you know Masters of Reality from Sabbath, which I got very soon after I heard Heaven and Hell. So, um, but yeah, that was actually the first Sabbath album I probably, you know, I heard all, you know, Paranoid and Iron Man and all that stuff on the radio all the time. But, uh, you know, that, you know, Black Sabbath was one of my all-time favorite bands, absolutely. And, you know, Neon Nights is such a great song. You know, that, that's a killer record. I mean, that's a killer song. And, and you know, there, there was a lot of really good stuff on, on Heaven and Hell. I preferred that one to uh, The Mob Rules, totally. But, um, but still, great, cool, cool record. I don't think that was one of Sabbath's strongest albums, but you know, 
uh, like my personal fave is Sabotage, and that album just rules. You know, that that's from top to bottom, an amazing record. So that and Masters of Reality. You know, I, I used to be terrified. I was I was horrified reading the lyric. Do you want to see the Pope at the end of a rope? I thought, you know, <laughs> Satan himself was just going to appear in front of me and strike me down. For, for right. That, that that lyric. So. <laughs> but that was on that was on Masters of Reality. So whatever. Uh, interestingly enough, Sabotage is one of those, um, albums that I remember picking up at some, like, now defunct chain store back east, uh, back in New Jersey, and, uh, and picking that up for, like, three bucks and thinking, well, you know, for three bucks it can't be that bad, and I picked it up and absolutely blew my mind how, how good that was start to finish. Absolutely. Not a dud track on that whole record, man. Just amazing from top yeah. to bottom, fully. Yeah, and, and it's a shame that it's one of the more overlooked albums by critics and fans during the Aussie period when it's probably one of the stronger ones. That's that's just one of the strongest vocal records. I mean, just the vocal lines on that album are amazing. And I think what happens is, you know, and that was them coming roaring back after Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath started kind of, you know, that was a lighter record. It was a great title, a great title track, but that was really the strongest track on there. And, um, and you know, Who Are You was another great song, but hell, that wasn't, there wasn't even any guitar in that song. Um, yeah. uh, I do think Metallica got Enter Sandman from Who Are You. Um, I think the riff is very similar and the vocal lines are similar in, in the chorus of Enter's, Enter Sandman. But, uh, but you know, a lot of, you know, you'll lose a lot of people if you put out kind of a lightweight record. And I think Sabbath might have dropped off some people's radar because they came roaring back with Sabotage. And I think a yeah. lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, it's just a downhill slide from, from Sabbath, bloody Sabbath on. It's like, no, it's not. You know, they put out one kind of dodging record, two dodging records. You know, because I, I thought Volume 4, that, that is my least favorite Sabbath record. And the fact that is the one that influenced all this stoner rock. I got to admit, stoner rock is not my real cup of tea, but I really find that all these stoner rock bands are, you know, it's like, they bring a copy of volume four into the studio and say, <laughs> make us sound like this. And, you know, that's right. not a real strong black Sabbath record, nor is, uh, you know, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, but Hey man, they came ripping back with, uh, with sabotage. So maybe that's why it's kind of overlooked because you don't really hear anybody talking about that record too much, you know, but then you do find the guys, you know, like the, the true metal fans, the true like Sabbath fans are like, dude, sabotage, that's the shit. So, yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong starting out with Hole in the Sky and going into Symptom of the Universe and and, and ending with uh, um, the Ritz. No, that that was uh, the thrill of it all. The Ritz, the next. Yeah. Uh, no, the Ritz next to last. Thrill of it all is right before it, I think. And the okay. last one is uh, Am I Going Insane? Wow. No, I think that's like that's just buried on on side two somewhere. Yeah. Am I Going Insane is. Uh, it was, I think it was track two on stuff, but uh, hell, with CDs these days, man, they, they stop track. Yeah, well, well, it could have to do with the uh, $3 copy that I had as well, so. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, what a great record. The legendary drummer of Anthrax, Charlie Benante. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, being a huge Black Sabbath fan when I was younger, uh, when Ozzy was out of the band, of course, it was, it was, wow, what a shocker and everything. 
But I love Dio. I love Dio stuff with Rainbow. I mean, some of my favorite records are Rainbow Rising, Long Live Rock. It's just awesome. I mean, he's just a killer. So when he was in Sabbath, that first Sabbath record for me, Heaven and Hell, was fucking killer. I mean, you take a song like Neon Nights, when that hits, man, and he comes in, and the way he introduces it is just like, oh, my God, it's so perfect. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, Ronnie Dio, with, with Black Sabbath, because the music was just killer, and his voice over that was just a marriage that was, for me, some of the best shit. And I love those two records, Mob Rules and, and Heaven and Hell, probably one of my some of, some of the greatest stuff, you know? Vinny Apice. Although I know you didn't play on the original release, uh, right. it's obviously an album that has a lot to do with your career because you jumped into the band shortly after the album came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, can you turn the clock back for a second and tell us exactly how you got invited to play with Sabbath? Uh. Well, it was in 1980, and uh, actually before that call came in, I got a call from Sharon Osborne uh, asking if I wanted to play with Ozzy. Ozzy was with the Blizzard of Oz together. And huh. uh, and at that point, I knew Ozzy, you know, he was drinking. He was pretty nuts. I asked my brother. He knew Ozzy, too, from years ago. You know, is right. Ozzy crazy? I mean, I got this off. I mean, I don't know if I should do it or not. He goes, yeah, he's pretty nuts. So it kind of swayed me to, to turn it down. I turned it down, and uh, um, about two or three months later, I got a call from Sabbath. They were in town. They looked for drummer Tony uh, for my album I did with my own band called Axis, and he liked it, so they called me. I don't know where they got my number from. So I went down to play with them. Uh, first, I went down to meet Tony and the road manager, right. and that went well, and then they said, come down tomorrow. This was in Los Angeles, and we'll jam and see how it goes. So I went down and played with them. First song I played with me on nights. And then they said, yeah, you're in. So I was in the band. And uh, it was under the assumption that Bill was going to come back. Bill, huh, at that okay. point, um, had to leave, and he, he was gone. But they thought he would be back. So eventually the tour went on, and Bill never came back. So then eventually the tour ended, and then... Uh, came up to do another album, and I was in. You know, that's when we did the Mob Rules. So, right. And then we became great friends and uh, had a long, long relationship, you know. Right. Um, what are some of your favorite songs to play live off of that album? Uh, I like uh, Die Young, uh, Heaven and Hell. We did Lady Evil. They're all kind of favorites, you know. Neon Nights is okay. cool, too. But Neon Nights for drums isn't very, it's kind of a repetition of the, the you know, the first half of the song. It's kind of like the second half of the song. So it's not right. as interesting for me playing it, but it's a great song, obviously. But I like the Neon Nights and uh, Lady Evil, pretty cool. Children of the Sea is awesome. You know, it's probably Children of the Sea. Okay. Is there anything that you never got to play off of that song, or excuse me, off of that album live that you wish you would have? Uh, no. I, I like the ones that we played. We we basically played the ones I just mentioned. We didn't uh, play any more than that. Um, well, I, I can't think of what the other songs are anyway right now. But they're all great songs, you know? Really great right. songs. I would have played any one of them, whatever they wanted to do. 
Okay. Does it surprise you that years later you hear so many people coming out saying that the lineup of Sabbath with you in it is favored over the original lineup? Uh, yeah, because I remember when we started, you know, when Ronnie started, it was hard for him. People, you know, wanted to see Ozzy, and sometimes, you know, they'd come to the front of the stage in the audience and, you know, with an Ozzy sign or an Ozzy shirt. So, and, I, and at that point, we were playing the old Sabbath stuff, you know, like Iron Man and Paranoid, so Ronnie had to sing that. So, right. um, you know, so we did... Uh, that was hard for Ronnie, and then uh, you know, then I come in, I'm the new, you know, replacing Bill Ward, and uh, you know, it was a little bit of uh, time to, to for people to accept both Ronnie and I. Ronnie right. was a little easier because they did Heaven and Hell off. So, uh, and then uh, what else? Uh, yeah, and so it took a while to build it up, build it up, and then years later, it's cool to hear that people are like going uh, oh my god you know the lineup with you guys we love that one and a lot of people would turn on the Sabbath from that lineup you know right. not even from uh, the original lineup you know some of the younger people so right. it's nice to hear you know because obviously the first band was awesome you know started it all so it's pretty cool right um, the one album that and I have weird taste of music, I have to say, and being a drummer for me, my favorite Sabbath album is the Humanizer because of oh, yeah. the the way that you're mixed on that album. The drums are just so crushing, especially when computer gods come in. That yeah. you know that that to me, in my opinion, if I have any sort of complaint about the Devil, you know, is that the drum sound wasn't the same way as it was on Dehumanizer. Um, can you tell us anything about Dehumanizer that maybe sticks out to you all these years later? Yeah, I agree with you. That's one of my favorite albums. And, and what's, what's cool about it is that it sounds great. There's so much punch and bite to that album. And that's right. mainly because the drums are up front. And uh, the engineer producer was Mac, who did some clean stuff. And uh, he just got a great drum sound. Those weren't even my drums. They were a ranger kit in England. So uh, um, he just got a wonderful sound. And then when they came to mix it, I actually went home. Because they were going to Germany to mix it. And I've been hanging out, doing nothing for a while. So I said, you know, it's all right if I go home. And everybody said, yeah. So they were worried that <laughs> since I wasn't there, I hope making sure the drums were loud enough, you know. Right. So, uh, uh, so that's what happened. I come home and listen to it. Ronnie came over to my house, played it. I went, "Holy shit! The drums are nice <laughs> and loud, man." That's the way it should be. Then, then, uh, Devil, you know, you know, the album uh, was kind of what it was. It, it was written mainly with a drum machine. That's the way huh. it wound up, and uh, there weren't a lot of drum parts on it. You know, the songs were kind of just straight ahead, and then the sound of it, you know, I don't hear the drums on it, you know, they're, they're yeah. all washed out to me, I don't, I don't really hear the punch, you know, there's too much effect on them, so there's a big difference between those two albums, you know, with, right. uh, with uh, the, the, the bigness of the drums and, and being washed away, you know, 
So. Right. That's why in this album, Kill Devil Hill, the drums going to be right up front. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right after R- Ronnie passed away, there were all these rumors that Heaven and Hell may continue without Ronnie, with maybe Glenn Hughes, maybe with uh, Swedish singer Jorn. Um, do you think that you'll ever work with Tony and Geezer again with a different singer? Um, you know, it's been talked about in... Uh... You know, in the day, it was like uh, when Newman was involved, it was brought up, you know, maybe maybe he would be cool. Uh, and Glenn Hughes, everybody. Uh, and uh, even Rob Halford. Hmm. So it didn't uh, pan out. I, You know, there was talk about it, and then it just wasn't talked about again. So You actually got to step in at one point with Ozzy as the lead singer when Bill got... Uh, sick a few years ago as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Bill had a minor heart attack in uh, '98, and then uh, I I flew out and rehearsed. We and we went out, you know, and I replaced Bill so with Ozzy singing. That was pretty cool. Yeah, even even I was like, wow, oh, this is good. Yeah, I never played with Ozzy, <laughs> so and it's not even like playing with Ozzy with his band. This was playing with the original, the whole original fucking band. So it was awesome. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.